there's, there's, there's a school of thought that says indigenous knowledges need to be protected. And what that often means or implies is that it has to be concealed and not shared in any way with anyone. And I'm not sure I, I completely agree with that. I see and I totally understand and appreciate the need to conceal. But also understand that one of the ways of preservation is to increase access to those knowledges in order for them to be widely adopted, understood and engaged with, at least available to those who might be interested in that theory. From the Institute for Creative Arts at the University of Cape Town, this is the ICA podcast, where we interview South African artists and curators who perform or curate live interdisciplinary works. I'm Nkhobuleng Muloi, host of the season three of the ICA podcast, and you are listening to episode six featuring artist and cultural producer Russell Shlongwani and his 2022 performance Ifu Elimnyama, The Dark Cloud. Ifu Elimnyama takes Zulu cosmology, folklore and systems of transcendence and places them within a digital framework delivered through video, installation and a performance lecture. Conceived as a long-term research project, the work invites an ontological approach to digital culture foregrounded by themes of time, knowledge, and language systems. Ifu Elimnyama is vastly speculative and seamlessly merges myth, fact, and fiction. The first segment is a two-channel video projection through which audiences are introduced to the character of Umalanji, who traverses both space and time in search of knowledge. The second part is a multi-sensory installation that explores material's ability to hold language. The final component is a performance lecture through which Longwani investigates a series of inexplicable events in the mountain village of Umsinga in KwaZulu-Natal. In today's episode, Russell Longwani transports us into unexpected places through an unusual narrative that displaces hegemonic knowledge. So my first name is Upegisisa, and that was my dad. Mm. And my mother um, gave me Russell. Begisisa is to be observant. It's mm. kind of, I mean, loosely translated to look close, but I think at a, at a much more, like at a deeper level, it means to be observant and mindful. I grew up in Durban, um, and during school holidays, um, I'd go over to Msinga. It was my great-grandmother and my grandmother's sisters who had not moved to the city, um, as well as my cousins um, and uncles, mostly. Yeah. The reason why, obviously, I ask you about Umsinga is that it is quite a critical part of the story that we're going to tell with um, Ifuilim Nyama. So can you paint a picture of what some of those holidays looked like, um, what you remember as a seven-year-old kid? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Umsinga is interesting 
because so my my mother my mother was a domestic worker um and so I was socialized around that community of domestic workers and garden workers who lived a very particular life in the city and I'd see a different part of that life when I went to Msinga you know and and so there was kind of there was always that 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 part that was very curious and and curious to follow how these lives unfold over over the years um and on on the other hand it was this like it was a life that was quite starkly juxtaposed to the one i lived in the city the way that the way that ideas are formulated the way that conversations are held body language and gestures are very different yeah and my uncles or my grandfathers would return and they would tell stories of Johannesburg mm-hmm. and so from a very early age um singa was was this place where i could almost understand other places that i'd never been outside of durban mm-hmm. and we're just also just fascinated at how time moves and operates there moves very very slow after like 3 or 4 days of big um singa you lose track of the days mm-hmm. in a way you know Yeah so these are some of the memories that that kind of come to me and like you know some like places you're told not to go because it's occupied by something and like after a certain time don't walk down this pathway because of whatever happened there and um so it it I mean I I I I did not realize at the time but it would later on be something that almost like is a is a trigger point for some of the, the preoccupations and the concerns that I that I've sought to pursue later in my work Um okay so let's talk about Ifu Elimnyama Uh, the dark cloud how did you conceptualize the project let's start there sure so it started out as an exploration into a collection that's based at Panza Museum which is a very modest museum in Durban um that consists largely of beadworks um and kind of quotes on quotes traditional artifacts that were collected in southern africa amongst these are like artifacts from eight, late 1800s and so on um so very very rich you know and the idea was to kind of spend time at this museum and almost start to to create an index or 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 a vocabulary um around a a communication system of zulu love letters um and almost to see if there was a kind of common syntax a common a common method that exists amongst these these uh these these beadworks and out of that exploration i felt that i i was i was arriving at a point where i wanted to express fully in multiple modes of forms some of the preoccupations that i've set with as a as a young boy so out of this idea of beadwork as coded language and one can think of technology in more or less the same way kind of working with binary systems um it's like okay there there are some there are some commonalities and some similarities and themes that i could speak of within the area of beadwork and i could do the same in the area of technology you know and i thought to myself then what would it look like for me to like explore and go down this rabbit hole all the way Thank <laughs> you.
I started to to talk to my grandmother and her sisters around the practice of beadwork. And at that point, I think I had I had a glimpse of what Ifu might start to look like. Um, so not far from home, actually, it's a towering mountain um, called Indanyana. And this mountain is said to be occupied by Inganya, by, you know, this kind of, this uh, cryptid snake. And my grandmother kind of mentioned this in passing. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Backtrack. Uh, what's this about? And so she kind of opened this up, you know. And as she told me more and more, it was like she was kind of talking about a sci-fi film, really. And Ifo was born. Gibuyelela, emtabenuo yise noni na bezula ne sabantundo uguzo fagaza ngingulego yenkanyamba ya bitenwe amanda unompelo kishubingu na pagade. Ewo ya tuga entelenyayo. Before we get to kind of the specifics of Inkanyamba and, you know, this kind of snake that people know of but haven't really seen before, let's maybe try and kind of paint a picture for people around the project that you presented for ICA. Tell us um, what the project, kind of the different elements of the project. So if Inkanyamba means the dark cloud um, and and the the phrase has the same meanings in English as it does Guizulu yeah um, kind of predicts doom and gloom and so on um, and one can think of cloud of cloud culture in the context of kind of Silicon Valley technology esque um, as well as as think of the cloud as a as this symbolic element in Guni culture and Guni tradition like rain goddess and kind of rain in its connection to land and everything that sustains life. Um, so the, the cloud is a very interesting metaphor as a way to really kind of draw people into a much more expansive field than what is looking to explore conceptually and creatively. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the, uh, the, the title of, of, of the project. And what it, what it tries to do is to think of like very deep, often overlooked and underexposed imagination of Guazulu. The performance lecture in Ifu Elimnyama, The Dark Cloud, takes place on Hidden Campus in a typical theatre-style setting. Tlongwane is on stage, sitting on a wooden chair and desk. On the desk is a microphone, a laptop and some A4 pages. Behind him is a screen on which archival images from his research are projected. The room is largely dark, save from the light emanating from the screen as well as the spotlight on Tlongwane. A song fills the room as audiences settle into the theater. It's a Sizulu hymn, um, and it so it's, it's performed by the African Heritage Ensemble, um, led by Umbuso Kosa. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of like it's, it's a song that, was, that is said to have been um, recited by, um, by the men before they went out to war. And I think it's just, it's such a, it makes such a grand statement um, about the work and kind of what to expect. Um, it's, in many ways, I think it also feels like it's unapologetic. It's like it's there, it's present, and you've got to like work with this stuff. 
Before Shlongwani begins his lecture, right after the Isizulu hymn completes, a film is projected. The film begins with a moving body of water and quickly shifts to text containing geographic coordinates of Mapungubwe. In the film, we see Umalanje covered in Ubomvu, red ochre. He wanders through various natural landscapes interposed with images that recall the urban environment a crowded street, a museum, a scrapyard. The film is a montage of fragments of the journey taken by the protagonist in search of knowledge and is underscored by climatic, suspenseful refrain and narration in Isizulu. This is where we get introduced to the character of Umalanje, correct? So maybe let's get into that. So, yeah, what? who is this character? <laughs> and what is, what are they doing? What What is their role in kind of the story of Ifuele Mnyama? Umalanje is this interstellar flanger. It's kind of this this wandering body um, who's moving across dimensions, is moving across space and time, um, kind of trying to patch technologies in ruins, trying to speculate on what these technologies might mean in other dimensions. Um, and so it's kind of, we, we see the world of Mapungubwe mm. through Umalanje. Of course, it's a fictional, it's a fictionalized character. It's something that I, that I, that I made up. Um, and he also has this like very mischievous nature. You know, it's kind of, he's touching things. He's like, he's combining and making connections between things that are not kind of associated or thought of in, in the same frame. Um, most importantly, Umalanje um, in form is Umungwi. Umungwi, again, is something, is a figure that my grandmother told me about. It's said to be um, a state that your spirit takes before it's a ghost. It's said to be composed of spirits and an electric charge. Mapungubwe is an archaeological site that lies in the northern border of South Africa joining Zimbabwe and Botswana. The ancient city developed into the largest kingdom in southern Africa in the 14th century. Vestiges of the majestic settlement, mainly stone walls, remain in the region and in the film we see Umalanje interacting with these artifacts, including petroglyphs, musical instruments and beadwork. So I'm obviously interested in indigenous knowledges um, and Mapungubwe remains one of the most potent um, and dynamic sites to, to revisit. Um, Mapungubwe is a point of departure to arrive at other sites of, of significance in the southern region, kind of expanding all, all, all across the, the continent. Um, it was really fascinating to me that there was this, there's this place that is just around the corner from me that is filled with so much, it's contested. Um, of, on, on the one hand, but on the other hand, um, it's, it's a site of like really, really interesting practices and some of the things that are said to have happened there are almost difficult to imagine as colonized subjects, you know, that our people had, had produced and kind of created all of that knowledge. And then it's to say, so if all these things happened in Mapungubwe, what else might have happened there that we cannot access? So that's why Mapungubwe was a really important place. And, 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 
the marrow of the material might be from KZN, when I was trying to locate KZN within a broader um, kind of context, you know. So I found it really important to, to move the world of Ifu from KZN to Mapungube because what it starts to do is to diffuse and ask us to think beyond quote unquote tribal bordered states. Some elements that we see in this um, part of the work that will kind of come back again. Mm -hmm. So one is kind of this idea of water that's obviously alluded to because of the cloud, but also just kind of like water flowing. So this we can we can really understand water as this like as an essential building block of of life. Uh, I mean, this is what scientists look for when they you know. Um, are exploring other planets and so on. And on the other hand, one one understands the the role of water in spiritual practices of this region. So, like Amatwasa, for example, would would uh, would lose themselves in in a body of water for a kind of at a you know in a way that that diffuses time as we understand it. Someone would be gone for seven months, for example, in Yotwasa, but they've been gone for much longer or maybe even much shorter. You know, and so I kind of interest it. It's water is is a kind of portal in some way that that kind of undoes all the, the natural and scientific laws and physical laws that we understand in this world. So water is a really interesting uh, element in, um, in, in the film. There is an element of the work that is kind of engaging explicitly with technology. So yeah. where you are thinking about like the typical Silicon Valley-esque, you yeah. know, kind of definitions yeah. of what yeah. technology is. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit? I, I think a, a, a point is really important to, to raise here before I respond directly to your question, which is there's, there's, there's a school of thought that says indigenous knowledges need to be protected. The, 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 the indigenous knowledges that might emerge or be present in the film um, are concealed in a certain way, but also made available in a certain way. They kind of, they, 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 they are multiple points of entry. So if I'm talking to young people of KZN or of Southern Africa, technology, it's, it's a common language in many ways. You know, I'll Google you or, you know, check on YouTube. It's, a kind of, it's an established language and people know what I'm talking about when I, when, when, when I talk of the cloud, you know. But it's, it's, it's a way for me to draw them in, into this world that is otherwise and is expected to be concealed. And if you can understand the work as working like kind of in the long past, if it's working with the long past, which are these indigenous knowledges and kind of this futuristic sense, um, and, and the work is, and, and, and so there's, there's a need to conceal that which we come from and a need to kind of hyperexpose that to which we are headed. Right, um, and in that process, I try to then say, well, all the stuff that Silicon Valley is producing now might have already happened here. Might be using different terms um, for 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 these things. Yes.
For me, the really interesting thing about your work that it doesn't allow you to like tell the story in a very linear way, you sure. know. So now I'm going to ask you to jump to the story of your grandfather. Is it your grandfather or your great grandfather? Yeah, I mean, all of this is like, all of this is made up, you know. At least most of it. Most of it is made up. Um, The film ends on a suspenseful note, Umalanje still wandering through different spaces, his journey clearly unfinished. The two-channel film featured in this festival can be understood as a placeholder. Lungwani then delivers a performance lecture using a archival material and constructed media consisting of moving images, stills and sound. Through the lecture, he meets the film's protagonist, Umalanje, with whom he's connected through dreams. And through a combination of fact and fiction, Klongwane details his journey of investigating these family histories. In this performance lecture, I fabricate a series of events, right, where I kind of, I undertake this master's program and the subjects of interest is to research um, a set of supernatural cloud phenomena around the mountain of Indanyan. Now, Indanyan, as I mentioned earlier, is this mountain in Msinga, right? That sits adjacent to my family home. Um, and it is said to be occupied by Inganyam. And I kind of want to take this as facts, according to the people of Msinga. So this becomes the point of entry. The place, the area is ablaze with news about a group of Abelungu, white people, who are performing some work on this mountain called Indanyana. This towering mountain has a number of speculations attached to it, one of which is the existence of a cryptid snake of untold size. The snake has never been seen. And in this exploration, I cannot find the evidence and the cited literature that would hold together my, my, my research. And as a result of this, because I only depend on kind of narratives and people of this, of this, of this place, I get dismissed. You know, I have to resign from this master's because I just cannot meet the, the academic rigor. But a few months later, after my resignation, I, I have a series of lucid dreams, and these are visitations from an ancestor of mine. And he kind of arrives in these dreams to reveal all the answers that I needed. Recurring lucid dreams, if I may add. And they featured a man, a man thirsty, asking for water. And at the last dream, on the last dream, it tells me where to get the water. It's atop at the lake bed of the mountain in Ganyamba. Can you kind of explain the link between the snake um, and kind of its relationship to what it does to the clouds sure. and how it moves and kind of what the stories that people say about the snake. Uh, it's called Iganya Bayezul, and it is said to move with the dark cloud. So, and this is the reason why no one has ever seen it. And it moves with this kind of raging tornado. Yeah, it kind of leaves destruction in its, in its, in its path. And it's, 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 it was last reported emceeing around 2008. And I mean, like, if you go to my, to my area emceeing, it's like people understand, like people, like it's, this is facts, you know? Um, and so this is, this is in Ganyamba. 
Um, but there are so many questions around like how it moves. The science of it is difficult to like, it doesn't hold, you know? And I think that is really exciting. During my research, I learned that the first group of scientists who had embarked on this journey was in 1904. And of those scientists, two never returned. And one of those who did not return was a black man. Now, so these scientists in my performance lecture kind of go up this mountain to, to kind of study this cloud phenomenon. And it so happens that those scientists were accompanied by the man who enters my dreams to give me the answers to my master's program. And so I'm kind of taking this event that I heard when I was 10 years old and I'm connecting it to something that's kind of speculative and it's made up. Till today, it's unclear how he disappeared. But the village knows why he vanished. It's no surprise to them. They didn't have to warn him. He knew, he knew that it was interfering with the power that would release wrath on him more than it would on the sciences. And um, in this story, some of the scientists don't make it back, right? Yeah. And you explicitly say that the local people were not surprised, yeah. particularly that the black man who was accompanying yes. them yes. did not return. Yes. Again, returning to concealment. He found it fitting, he found it inviting to kind of trample um, and overexpose this sacred knowledge that is only available and accessible to a select few. So he knew the power that he was interfacing with. And, and we see this. I, I've heard stories where kind of people are warned against something and they think they are too smart or too intelligent and they kind of interact with energies that they're not quite ready to engage with. And there are ramifications for these things. And so I kind of position him as a victim and a perpetrator of the exoticization and suffering the consequences of things that should be concealed. But he did not die. He disappeared. He re-emerges a few days later in the village asking for water. The water that he had taken these scientists to kind of uncover through this cloud phenomena. So this is how I'm kind of setting this character up in the context of the performance lecture. In, in the embarrassment of his curiosities, the family has never spoken about the events. The embarrassment still hovers over the family. And so my research, my so-called obsession with scientific and evidence-based scholarship only excavated the buried shame of my family. This cloud of shame, in a way, is, is, is I guess, how, how we as like young black people of this moment at times kind of, how does one put this? With, within the world of, of artistic practice, there's a kind of, there are cringe moments when you come across certain things, certain knowledges and practices that have not been handled, managed, contained, or held in the right ways. And I think in some way I'm trying to, perhaps, perhaps it's to remind myself of what the parameters of this work should be. So this idea of shame, I think, is a really important currency to hold around or about how we attend to things that are sacred to us, or at least how do we use courage as a way to engage with these, with, with these, uh, with, with, with these ideas. Also because we understand that they, 
there's a level to which they should be this knowledge should be made available to young black people who might be interested in returning to some of these ideas and knowledges so as part of the work you offer a series of propositions that I'd like us to talk through um let's talk about time yeah. kind of more broadly how you understand it and use it in your work sure. um and then particularly in ifu elimnyama so we we are living in in the guided by the gregorian calendar right but there's a there's a there's a calendar there's a kind of there's a different way that as peoples of this place we understood our relationship to nature our relationship to time etc the stars and so on and so forth you know and so at a practical kind of material level there's there's that interest of mine to like return to to understand what what those things were they are they are practices like transcendental practices of of amazul where certain things happen and it's just, it's it's hard for you to understand them if you will think of them and engage with them through the knowledge that you've been taught at school and i think some of those activities i've come to appreciate them because i've needed to let go of things like the linearity of time so th- this is this is the appeal um of time to to this work is to rethink time mm-hmm. as things kind of not like events don't always follow a particular sequence that makes sense to us as something much bigger than us if you let go of time then this imagination is then open available and you can you can contend with it perhaps not understand it because that's not the attempt it's at least to contend with it and and the other i think m- monolithic um ways that we we think about about like past and future as if these things are 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 separate in fact often when you when you talk about the past you are talking about or at least they are talking about africa um when they talk about the future they're talking about the west the idea that we come from the rural and we come into the urban like these ideas of like you know and i'm really uncomfortable with those things and i try in my work to build a productive tension so that those things are not mutually exclusive they start to kind of bleed into into each other that's the composition of the isizulu word for time the shaman said alludes to a suspended space continuum he says the word actually has less to do with time as we understand it but it's actually appropriated from space umkati but not space in 3d the other thing that i want us to talk to is this idea of umkati umkati time and space and them coming together so umkati is kind of this third space it's the suspended dimension or universe right it's a place that transcendentalists can access and then from that is iskati which is time devoid of place or space so that's just one example of how this work could be understood there are other examples that i would like to get to that do the same function of unpacking our indigenous knowledges um and displays a kind of western sense of science and science making you know there there was a, there's a great desire um and i was hoping to have done this for the ica performance lecture but is to present this work in isizulu mm. you know um and find a really interesting way to deal with this aspect of translation it's highly unfortunate that this work that 
that draws from and and is kind of is is predicated so heavily on indigenous knowledges is presented in English. It's like something that I'd like to to address and like really think of complicated ways to to refuse, deny, and build access to some of these ideas and themes that I'm talking about if you don't have access to the language, you know? As part of doing the work, I'm kind of creating a, a dictionary of Isizulu words um, that speak to technology, you know, the materials and kind of the systems of technology. So like the fourth dimension, networks, algorithms, you know, there, there, is, there are like maybe I'd say seven, if not 10 words um, that I could explain to my grandmother without needing to borrow from the English, right? What technology is and like she would get it exactly in that way. And I think part of the, the work of grounding technology in an African context is starting to use words that are common and familiar to our imagination, our folklore, our tradition, and our cultures. And that starts to set up a different connection, a different arrangement and ownership to technology, not as mere users, but as active agents, but also as makers of hardware and, 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 and software. And so the, the, this, this work of like developing a language or a dictionary of terms for technology is really, really important. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about is this idea of futurity. Yeah. And of course, you think about it um, from the perspective of like a lot of speculation. Actually, um, it's only now that we're having this conversation that I realize how speculative the work is. <laughs> it's like, I guess it should have hit me, but it's only hitting me now. Um, yeah, so can you maybe speak around how you kind of conceptualize what you think futurity means? Sure. I think as black folk, we often feel like we need to work up to a certain level in order for us to be accepted and be of this world. Um, and part of that means like fashioning oneself to fit the future. Um, when in fact, all of the stuff that we are rushing towards has, have, has long kind of been done where we are from. And the idea then is to, to, for us to go forward like, you can go back and find all the stuff that they're trying to tell you about the future, you know? Um, and so then how, how do we return to this depth of, of, of our history and package it in a way that meets the future, right? Like almost like, in fact, doesn't meet the future, it calls the future to us. And so there's no need for us to look there. The stuff is here. Um, and so the future was long invented in Africa. You know, so the future is not there. It's right here with us. And and part and and I think in the rush to catch up with the West, there's a lot that we are erasing through neglection. And so that's how I'm thinking about about futurity. You know, not as something that exists out there. It's something that's here. The ICA podcast is a production of the Institute for Creative Arts at the University of Cape Town. It is hosted by me, Nkhopuleng Muloi, and produced and edited by Catherine Ball. Music in this episode includes Turning to You by Blue Dot Sessions. Additional sounds and music are from Russell Songwana's 2022 ICA Live Art Festival performance of Ifu Elimnyama, The Dark Cloud.